Hardly been a banner last couple of weeks for Canadian soccer. The women's team crashed out of the World Cup at the round of 16 stage, while the men suffered a stunning second half collapse against Haiti. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and you are listening to the Footy Talks podcast, and on this week's edition, it's a recap of disappointing tournaments for both national teams. A little bit later, we will be joined by Gavin Day to chat about the men's team, but first, let's talk some Women's World Cup. We will kick things off with Sandra Prusina of 660 News, as well as a woman soccer contributor for CanPL.ca. Sandra, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me, Mitchell. Well, uh, quite frankly, uh, a lot has happened since we last spoke. Uh, the 2019 Women's World Cup final is set to go on Sunday, and we now know that the United States will take on Netherlands there. But uh, unfortunately, the Canadian women's team didn't get particularly close to that final, bowing out in the round of 16 to Sweden. Um, definitely a disappointing loss. I mean, I mean, two disappointing losses in a row, if you want to look at it that way, to the Netherlands and Sweden. Um, what did you make of, of kind of the tournament as a whole for Canada as we look back now with a, with a bit of time now, I guess, to um, kind of think on, on what went wrong for this team? I think the best way to describe it is disappointing. I remember you and I talked about this, and we felt that this was one of the better rosters that Canada had ever sent to a World Cup. So I think they left France with a lot more questions than answers, and I'm really sad for a number of players who this was probably it in terms of a World Cup. They will either be retiring or will move on in their lives, and what a poor way to go out. It'd be different if they lost in the round of 16 and it was some sort of a hard-fought battle. But honestly, that game versus Sweden was awful. I don't know how to better describe <laughs> it. It just it, it fell so flat and it was difficult to watch because I could see they were trying to make adjustments, but... They were waiting for their opponents to do something. They were very reactive instead of just trying to stick to their game plan, and they seemed frustrated. And it was just frustrating for us to watch it because nobody really wanted to take the bull by the horns. And I think that was for the full 90 minutes, including that penalty kick, which I think will be such a huge talking point for the women's program for some time to come. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly a bit of a bizarre one there. I mean, you would expect, obviously, Christine Sinclair with, um, you know, the the legacy that she has with this program to to take that penalty. I know, um, you know, Janine Becky and and a number of them do take penalties on the regular. Janine Becky scored a, a pretty massive penalty kick for her club team to win the FA Cup this year. So it's not like, um, you know, she's a she's a bad player to have take that penalty, but. It's it's just so incredibly puzzling. I know you've you've covered this team for a number of years. Um, it, it just seems so surprising that a player like Sinclair would d- decide to even offer up that ball in that situation. I know the Swedish keeper had stopped her before, but you know even then you're so close to a goal scoring record. This could be your last World Cup. You'd think you'd want the the ball at your feet for uh, what ended up probably being the make or break situation for Canada at this World Cup. Yeah, just a flabbergasting turn of events. And 
to me, when you parallel this with what happened four years ago in Edmonton versus China and how Sinclair, and it was a round robin game, it wasn't even a knockout stage game, and how she took that penalty. And I think that, just think of the pressure of that situation. You're the host country. If you don't score, it's going to be a draw, and it's going to be seen as a disappointment. Like 45,000 people in the stands, it's completely red. Millions of people are watching, and she just slotted that ball in like it was another day at the park. And then I compare it with what happened a week ago, a week and a few days ago, and I just I can't believe that this happened. And I can't believe that the coaching staff didn't stand up and make her take it because I don't like to compare Canada and the U.S., but when the U.S. was playing Spain and Alex Morgan went to take one of the penalties, Jill Ellis essentially stopped it and made Megan Rapino take it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the job of the coaching staff. You're there to coach. To me, it was unacceptable that the captain did not take that penalty kick, and I do not mean anything bad against Janine Becky. But if this had been a, a round-robin game, okay, fine. If the result didn't really matter that much, but this was a knockout stage game, the team you could see was struggling. They needed that spark, and they just did not get it. You mentioned this being, uh, I mean, Christine Sinclair even said of the most talented Canadian women's soccer team of all time. When when you kind of have that hype going into a tournament like this and, and then have disappointing results like they did, um, some of the onus certainly falls on the coach, at least um, in, in, in terms of the public perception. What did you make of, of Kenneth Heiner-Muller at this tournament and and you know, kind of the tactical side of Canada, because it certainly was, uh, you know, they they kind of live in, lived and died by their defensive setup, which worked for them, obviously, against teams that uh, didn't offer much in attack against Canada. But then, you know, once they played those teams that, that could get a little further forward and could threaten Canada, they seemed to struggle a lot more, and especially, you know, responding to any blows that the opposition were able to deal. Yeah, essentially, I think teams like the Netherlands and Sweden were probably salivating at the chance to play Canada because they just proved that they were a bit of a one-trick pony. Essentially, they were they had almost the same starting eleven every game. There were very few changes, and I think Sweden. I can't say that they completely outplayed Canada in terms of possession and things like that, but they knew that they could cash them on the counter, and they did. They made them pay. So I, I was really disappointed with the lack of creativity with the starting 11. When a coach doesn't doesn't appear to have the faith in the bench. I mean, you had players available like Deanne Rose, Jordan Heidema, Adriana Leone should have seen more minutes, bar none, because mm-hmm. she's a very dynamic player. She's got such a hard shot on the ball. And what I thought Canada really struggled with was scoring, but scoring away from the 18-yard box. So nobody is taking these long-distance shots. And Adriana Leone, to me, is, is a key person in that kind of a situation. Rumors Michelle Prince wasn't 100%, so why she was seeing as many minutes as she did. And again, no, that's no disrespect because she's fast and she's a useful player, but I think somebody healthy should have had that opportunity. And uh, one player that didn't see any minutes is Gabby uh, Carl, and that also surprised me because she's coming off a, um, a college win, NCAA college win, and she mm-hmm. did so, you know, she trained as a forward, but I mean, she won it as a 
defender. So to have somebody with that versatility would have allowed you to maybe push Ashley Lawrence up a little bit. Canada was just so predictable. And essentially, I mean, Netherlands and Sweden called them out on their bluff and were easily able to beat them. Is there there a big concern for this team going forward then? Because uh, there's kind of been two mixed reactions from this. Uh, One being that this team's very good and it just was down to execution and they weren't able to, to, you know, execute in the the big moments. And then there's other people who are throwing up bigger red flags here and saying, you know, listen, there's so many other programs in, in the world that have clearly shown themselves to have had a major improvement. I mean, you look at the Dutch certainly and what they've done in the past few years um, and getting to a world cup final. Now the Spanish as well. I mean, it seems like almost every European program took a pretty significant step forward here. So um, what do you make of that kind of the changing landscape of, of the women's game and where Canada fits into it? Yeah, I'll probably throw Italy into that mix too. Right. Uh, they yeah. exceeded my expectations. I actually, and I was a little naive, I didn't think that Italian women's soccer had made that many strides. I knew Juventus had done a really good job in terms of promoting its women's program and things like that. But wow, did they ever impress me in their scoring depth and their tenacity you mentioned Spain, the Dutch. It's Canada somewhere, in terms of those reactions, I sit a little bit in the middle because I know there is talent on this roster. However, the depth, I'm struggling a little bit with the depth, and I just wonder, Canada is a top-five team via FIFA, but when all is said and done, is Canada a top-ten team when we look at the bigger picture and something is off with the development. Canada, yes, is developing very strong defenders. They always have had strong goalkeepers all the way down uh, to the days of Karina LeBlanc and before that. But the midfielders are strong, but we need midfielders that can score and we need strikers that can just keep the foot on the gas. And I'm just not seeing that hunger. I'm not seeing that... I don't, you know, when you're playing sports, you always have to not necessarily kick the opponent when they're down, but be able to just put your foot on the pedal and on that throttle. And I'm just not seeing that from the Canadian squad right now. I, I was expecting a lot more. And I'm not saying the fl- it was a fluke, those results earlier this year and the few goals that they did concede. It's just something is missing from this recipe. And I don't know if it is personnel on the field or if it's in coaching if they need somebody that needs to motivate them a little bit more rather than the players essentially coaching themselves on the field I know it's something John Herdman mentioned towards the end of his tenure and I know a lot of people have brought it up as well but kind of the NCAA route versus you know some of these European players who are getting to go through a fully professional environment at a young age and getting developed that way whereas um, you know, college soccer, we've certainly seen it on, on the men's side in, in MLS and with the Canadian men's national team, you know, it's it's just a different beast and maybe isn't as conducive to producing these top players. And we've seen Jordan Heidema kind of be the, the first Canadian player to skip over that NCAA route and just go full professional. Do you think that's something that's going to have to happen more actively in the future if, if this team's going to stay competitive? Because, um, or, or, you know, even for there to be more professional opportunities for Canadians in Canada um, in, in the future, just to, you know, kind of keep pace with all these countries that are able to offer 
a lot of their players fully professional opportunities at a young age. Yeah, I think Jordan Heidema is going to be a little bit of a guinea pig because, like you said, she's the one that's foregoing college for the first time, going to play professionally. Perhaps it has a little bit something to do with the position that she has. I think for, let's say, Kadisha Buchanan, Ashley Lawrence, when you go to a, a school like West Virginia, I think that really worked well for them. They had a lot of success there. Mm-hmm. They saw a lot of playing time. If, if I'm not mistaken, Kadisha did win the Matt Herman Trophy and so forth. So I think that was the right journey for them. It, going to college, I think, it teaches you a whole other set of things. I don't just need education, but in terms of just fitness and being able to manage everything in your life. So I think there are a lot of pros of staying in the college game. Now, you also mentioned perhaps another pipeline in terms of having a league in Canada. and That, to me, is one of the biggest red flags right now. If you look at the teams ranked 1 through 10, on the FIFA rankings right now, Canada is one of the only ones that doesn't have a professional league. Mm. And, and I realize that most players will still want to play, let's say, in the NWFL or in France, England. But you also need somewhere to build this pipeline for players who need to develop. And that's essentially what the Canadian Premier League is doing right now for the men. I know there was a lot of talk of Canada's Gold Cup exit and could there have been a centre-back or a full-back from the CPL that could have made a difference. Imagine a year ago you're not having that conversation. So if we could somehow transfer that to the women's game and just know that these players will be prepared when they're called upon and are getting those minutes and are being tactically trained and are tactically aware, there just seems to be such a disconnect right now from essentially when you leave the youth program and go to the full senior team. A lot of players are being lost. I'm One thing I wanted to mention to you is, as I was sort of going over what we might talk about, is the fact that Canada foregoed their opportunity to play at the Pan American Games this mm-hmm. year. And I, I think that's such a poor decision because maybe you didn't want to send your senior team, but why not send a U23 team like you did in 2015 and give some minutes to, I'm thinking of Sarah Stratagakis and all of these other players who are college players but still need to somehow develop within the national team. So there, there's just a disconnect, and I appreciate what the XL program has done, but it still hasn't brought as many players to the senior team as we wanted. Yeah, I don't think it can ever hurt to have more tournament football, certainly, and uh, that, that was a bit of a surprising decision from, from Canada soccer, especially considering the success they've had at those Pan Am tournaments in the past. Um, Looking at the positives here, what are the positives, if any, coming out of this tournament for Canada? Because I know, um, c- certainly for me, Jade Riviere is is someone who has shown herself to be a potentially key player for this team going forward. I mean, um, was thrown in against, you know, as we said, two world-class teams and d- didn't look out of place at all. Played very, very well. Um, looks good both defensively and offensively, which is, you know, increasingly rare for a player of that age. So at least there's one young player who, who stepped up at this tournament. Is What are the other positives for, for Canada coming out of this? I would say I still really like the center-back duo of Kadisha Buchanan and Shalina Zadorsky. It's been a long time since Canada has had that stability in the center. I'd probably say since Candace Chapman at least. So it's really nice to see that on that back line and 
I'm always I'm consistently impressed with Ashley Lawrence. I think she probably wanted a little bit more of herself at this tournament, but I thought she was one of Canada's hardest working players. And for Jesse Fleming, I think this was a learning experience for her. There were some games where she looked wiped out. I mean, if you think of the goal she scored, it was lovely. But I think there are a lot of takeaways that will only make her a better player. So I think there are some positives to take away. And it balances out with the negatives. So I think there's still a lot of work to do there. Canada does have a pretty quick opportunity here to turn things around, evidently. They still do have to qualify for the Summer Olympics next year. But um, what are kind of the keys? And very quickly, you know, and they've been able to do this before multiple times in recent years, um, kind of rebound off a bit of a disappointing World Cup and build it into a, a solid Olympic campaign. I would love to see them have some friendlies at home. It's something that hasn't happened in the last little while. I don't know if we found out who's actually even hosting the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament. It would be awesome if it would come back to Vancouver. I think that was so well done in 2012, and it really gave the team a boost ahead of its trip to London. Uh, They need to get playing time, and they need to be able to live in some positivity, and I think having some friendly dates would really allow that. One thing I would love for them to get out of the way is Christine Sinclair and the goal-scoring record. I think that would just take a weight off of her shoulders. I don't know if that was really, something was clearly weighing on her throughout the tournament there. So it would be nice to get that out of the way, I think. And finally, I mean, I would love to see some more players head over across the pond, see the success that Janine Becky is having. We have Adriana Leon. She's in the UK right now. Lots of players on France. So if they can hone in on their professional success and maybe bring that to the team ahead of Olympic qualifying, I think that would definitely be ideal. Yeah, I'm I'm also wondering, like, what is it, do you think, about the Olympics that Canada is able to do better? I know maybe part, part of it is the fact that only three European teams qualify, and we've already talked about the depth of talent in Europe, but is it just that, a bit of a, a different tournament? Or, you know, is are there any factors about it that make Canada you know, that little bit more successful at the Olympic Games versus World Cup tournaments? That's a really interesting question because, of course, there were fewer teams, right? So Mm -hmm. it's really something... I wonder if it is a mental thing and knowing that there aren't that many teams from certain regions. And I just think of the team back in 2012 and the fact they had such a depleted roster. Everybody was dropping like flies in terms of injuries, but... They had this really interesting cohesion with them, and I thought that also transferred over to 2016. And I wish I had the answer because that was I'd be rich if I had the answer to that <laughs> to say why why that happened as it did. I actually don't know, and it's tough for me to say. I think it does fall on the fact that you don't have as many teams, and I'm really not sure. Mm. Well, it will be interesting to certainly see if uh, that is the case again this time around. But uh, before we uh, wrap up this segment, I did want to ask about the World Cup final. Um, The U.S., you know, obviously the heavy favorite coming into this, 11 straight wins at the Women's World Cup, which is a record. That's just pretty much scratching the surface of all the stats you could bring up for them. Uh, But the Dutch, obviously, a pretty surprising tournament. They 
Um, you know, certainly in the attack, they, they have a lot of quality there. So uh, it should be a very interesting final. What do you make of it and in the matchup we're going to see? Well, part of me is a little disappointed. Sweden didn't advance. I thought there would have been a really interesting narrative there if you obviously go back to the Rio games. And I hope Solo had a chance of parking the bus and played really ugly soccer. I forget the exact words that she used, but it would have been interesting. And Sweden, they have a lot of these players in the twilight of their respective career. Lindholm especially, so it would have been nice to see them. But I digress. It will be the Dutch and goodness, what a rise they've had, obviously, defending European champions versus the defending World Cup champions. It'll be an interesting match, but I think it is no contest that the Americans will take this. I don't want to say quite easily, but I think they could definitely pop in a few goals early and cruise to a victory. I think for the fans of the game, it'll be nice for them to see, obviously, the development of the Dutch side. They're such a fascinating team to watch, and the the fans are so much fun and just mm. the orange and everything. And for the Americans, I mean, how often do we see such dominance, it, even across any sport? And it's really great to see the rivalry aside. It's great to see that their jerseys are selling so much and that there's so much, much emphasis on this team because this just shows how important women's sport is and the growth of soccer across the world. And they've got so many of these women to look up to and say what you want about the Americans, their staff and the way that they act, but they get things done and it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. who's in there starting 11. I mean, essentially anybody they put in or anybody off their bench, it's going to be, they're, they're going to be difference makers. So I think for the Dutch, it'll be, it'll come down to essentially trying to at least break down that back line, Again, Alyssa Mayer has been okay throughout the tournament, that PK stays notwithstanding. I think she's had her moment. So has that back line. So for the Dutch, Vivian Niedema and, and company don't need to at least try to break down the Americans. But I think Alex Morgan is just having what a tournament she is having. <laughs> Three years old and she's not even slowing down. Like, it's just fascinating to watch. Obviously, you've got the Latino factor. I'm sure she will suit up. But even if she doesn't see four minutes, when you have somebody like Kristen Press that can come in and play for you, I mean, you saw what she did. Mm-hmm. She scored and it, uh, versus England. They're just they're just so good. They're just amazing to watch, and I'm in awe of the other dominance that the Americans have. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is good sometimes in sports to have kind of a big bad like that, or you know, a, a dominant team that, that's able to put together a record streak like they have. And uh, I think, yeah, it's only been good things for the popularity of the sport. There's obviously, as you mentioned, been some uh, some silly things that have kind of followed the hmm. team around this tournament. But uh, nonetheless, as, as you said, when, when you know, between the whistles, they've been pretty unbelievable at this, at this competition. And once again, we'll see if they can uh, put a bow on it in the final. And, and, you know, uh, third straight final. So very impressive from that program again. Uh, But thank you very much for joining me on the show this week. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And when we come back, Gavin Day will try his best to explain what went wrong with the Canadian men's national team. We are back on the Footy Talks podcast and now joined by the show's Canadian men's national team expert, Gavin Day. Gavin, thanks for coming back on. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having me. 
Well, um, I mean, it's we're going to have a pretty regular Canadian men's national team chat in the sense that uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a pretty surprising, or I guess maybe not surprising in the, the greater context of the Canadian men's national team, but... Um, uh, you know, a pretty disappointing match for the Canadian men's national team against Haiti to end their Gold Cup. Up until that point, there'd been probably a lot of positives for this team. I mean, they'd been scoring goals at a historic rate. Um, it, it very much looked like they were at least taking a step upwards in terms of CONCACAF in general. And then uh, even in that match against Haiti, there was a stretch of probably about 15 minutes in that first half where they completely dominated their opponents. They scored two goals. They're going into halftime looking like, you know, this could very well be the Martinique match or the or the Cuba match from earlier in the tournament where they pile up a bunch of goals and, and win comfortably. But, of course, it wasn't to be... Uh, you know, a, an errant back pass, a, a poor penalty, and some poor marking, and all of a sudden, uh, Canada bounced from the Gold Cup in the quarterfinal stage for the second straight tournament. Uh, what, what do you make of the tournament as a whole in the context of you know a, a pretty shocking loss? You know, we knew going in that defensively there were certainly the question marks with Canada. I mean, they only had something like six defenders going in at a Gold Cup, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was reason to be optimistic uh, with the young attacking talent that's come into the program. Herdman has certainly um, come in at a fortunate time where he's blessed with attacking options, where, you know, you mm-hmm. look at coaches of the past, they, they just simply didn't have much at their disposal. And, uh, you know, Herdman's come in, but they're still a lot of young guys. And so if we were thinking that Canada was going to go out and score three, four, five goals a game and, and, you know, that was going to bail out their defense, we were, that was never going to happen. And, you know, it should have been realized off the start where, you know, again, taking a look at these opponents, Martinique, not simply, just, it's not a FIFA team. They're not going to have to face Mm -hmm. them in world cup qualifying. And that, you know, to be fair, Martinique actually didn't look too bad in moments. Cuba, I don't know what's happened to that program. It has taken a huge dive off of the heights where where they once were. And I think it was for the the 2014 World Cup where they were actually the seeded team in Canada's group. And they are, I didn't know they were down to 172 or whatever it was until after the game. But they were, you know, you cannot look into that game. They were deplorable. They were, uh, you know, I equate it to Canada thumping St. Lucia in World Cup qualifying a number of years ago. You just can't read into that. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Mexico game happened, and yes, certainly some encouraging signs, but it was a loss. They, it, it was a loss straight up. So, you know, a lot of people look at that as, a, you know, I guess a, a moral victory in that they played well. There was a goal, which uh, all credit to, to David for finishing that goal. Uh, but I don't see Mexico making those kind of mistakes that led to that goal very often. So Mexico is a team that, you know, much like Costa Rica, sort of feels like they had the handbrake on a little bit in this tournament. And yes, I'm aware uh, Mexico's in the final, but they haven't looked <clears throat> at their at their very Mexican best, so mm-hmm. if I can say. Um, and then the Haiti game, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it was a very encouraging start against Haiti. They jump out to the two goals, but Haiti... Haiti changed adapted first and and Canada 
reacted much too late and, and you know that's all she wrote so you look at it in the context of it was almost identical as two years ago results wise Canada got a win and two draws I believe yeah it was winning two draws and then got knocked out this time it's two wins and a loss and then gets knocked out so um, you know we just let's, let's settle down for a bit this doesn't answer anything all of my questions are still there and, and everything that I said to you in the months leading up to this is that uh Canada still doesn't have much of a resume. They they beat teams that they easily should have beaten. Now let's see how they do against the real teams. And this was the first test, and it was one of those, you know, meh kind of things. So we'll see what happens in the months to come. Yeah, I think certainly there's been, I, I guess, overreactions on both sides. Obviously, a lot of the positive overreactions were leading into this game, and then a lot of the negative overreactions came thereafter, although certainly there were uh, a lot of people who who were not happy even going into this tournament as well. Um, one of the things I did want to point out, and I feel like hasn't been very fairly done in a lot of circles, is giving credit to Haiti for this match. I I know when they drew Haiti over Costa Rica, or, or rather that's the way the tournament worked out, that, and you know Haiti did beat Costa Rica to to get there. I was kind of concerned in the sense that I felt like you know even if Canada. Either way this match went, people would kind of look at Haiti as a majorly inferior opponent. And I, I, you know, based on their body of work of this tournament and in the recent past, you know, Haiti are very certainly one of the up and coming countries in CONCACAF. They've qualified for a number of youth tournaments now. Um, They actually topped Canada in the CONCACAF Nations League qualifiers as well. And, you know, they gave Mexico, and I, I know you've mentioned Mexico not looking themselves at this tournament, but nonetheless, they gave Mexico a real run for their money uh, in the knockout stages as well. So uh, I think every credit to Haiti. And I know often on this podcast, we talk about, um, you know, other CONCACAF nations and improvement there. And this is the one at this tournament that I, I know everyone really should be pointing to as, as you know, a sign of, of growth within this confederation. Oh, 100%. I mean, y- we always seem to forget that this is a team sport and, you know, you can look at, you know, the stars that are in a particular squad and, and Haiti is devoid of them largely, but they rallied, they unified, they had a system that worked and they all seemed to bought in and, and they were in the truest sense of the word, a team and, you know, full value wins over Costa Rica and Canada, very nearly eked it out against Mexico. And, you know, we could sort of see this as a, maybe an early example of the the benefit of this Nations League format, where I think the hope is to get these teams playing more games and for a country like Haiti to, to get more regular games. And we can see these results, and not even so much looking at Haiti uh, as a growing program. Look at the, what they did with the women. They qualified for an under-20 World Cup. So, um, you know, and that was at the expense of Canada. So, uh, yeah, I can't, cannot sort of understate how well Haiti played. They... Uh, could have easily, like a lot of teams, get their heads down after going down 2-0, but uh, you look at that heart they had in their fight back and the kind of reactions they had, and you know, full credit to them. It is going to be interesting to see you know, where this team goes, and I, you know, if any team has to play in Port-au-Prince, uh, it's going to be a tough place to play. Yeah, certainly we saw the, the carnival-like atmosphere there after they did beat the Canadians, and it you know, for a country that obviously has had some incredibly tough times in recent years, you know, you don't want to overstate the importance of sports, but obviously a pretty cool moment for that country to be able to to have such success on the international level in soccer, and you could definitely see what it meant to them. 
Um, John Herdman, after this game, certainly taking a lot of criticism. I know the, the Herdman out crowd, again, was they were dirt, certainly there before the tournament. There's a lot of people who are still not impressed with the way he was, you know, given the reins of this team. Um, a lot of misinformation there as well, which I, I'm sure we can maybe get into. But at any rate, there, there's two major criticisms that I think he's being drawn for in this tournament. One was the way he approached that Mexico match, um, kind of with the... I don't know, I guess overconfident sense that they get the opportunity to play Mexico again. So uh, they chose that kind of as their game to to rest a lot of their starters and play maybe a little bit more negative football than they did in any of the other matches. And the second, of course, is how he handled that second half against uh, Haiti. Uh, you know, a couple of the subs, I think everyone got uh, a bit of uh, I guess I guess what the the criticism was of Benito Floro when um, Ashton Morgan came on, even though for me it did actually make sense to get Davies further up the field, didn't make sense to take Cavallini off the field, and he uh, well, we'll see what happens there, considering some of uh, what seemed to happen by the bench after um, Cavallini was taken out. But what did you make of I guess this tournament from a Herdman perspective, and did you learn anything new about him um, and I guess his. Uh, how how he's going to coach this men's national team. Yeah, I mean, the whole Mexico looking ahead to the semis thing, that's, I mean, that's the way John is. He is not, uh, he is not, you know, that overconfident, if I can sort of put it that way. He still takes the time to meticulously prepare for, for, for every game they play in. But, you know, he did, he was sort of, it was, it, it showed a confidence in his team. And to be fair, you know, it's still Mexico. And, and mm-hmm. you know, they went out there with a team that didn't do too bad a job. It was, it was an impressive game. And they showed in that second half when the changes came in of what was possible. And it was still, it was still the group stage, you know. Um, they were still in a position. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, getting over a cold. Um, they were still in a position to... Uh, you know, looking ahead, that would have been the potential course where, you know, you get through a quarterfinal game and you are playing Mexico, but it wasn't said in the sense that they were looking beyond the quarterfinals. Now, the second half um, of the Haiti game, yeah, just, I mean, uh, you'll read uh, Peter Galindo of Sportsnet does great analysis of how of how Haiti changed things up and that, that turned the game and, and Herdman... Uh, you know, I think he responded a bit too late. When when he put in, in Morgan that late with, I think it was 20 minutes remaining, I mean, I, you know, I honestly didn't see much of Cavallini outside of that first goal uh, in, in the Haiti game. So, you know, I can sort of see how the change was made. But Ashton Morgan's not the tallest guy in the world. In, in, in my mind, I mean, I'm not a coach, obviously, I'm not, but when a team is up 3-2, like Haiti was, they're going to be sitting deeper. They're going to be clogging mm-hmm. up passing lanes, and they're going to be bunkering. In that case, I don't know why you put in, if you're putting in someone for Cavallini, put in someone like a tall center back who can get on the end of crosses. Because um, at that point, you're just going to be lofting balls into the box and seeing what happens. Yeah, I know you know Hutchison almost had the goal, but um, you know Morgan going in and pushing Davies forward, I don't think it was the right time. If anything... Uh, Go put Morgan in when you're up 2-1. And so you have a stay-at-home defender. Uh, we look at Davies on that defending on the third goal, and, and Morgan mm-hmm. is a 
tidy, if unspectacular player. And I think, you know, if he has it in his mind that I'm staying home and I don't have to go up the line like, like Davies would think, uh, you know, maybe there's a different outcome and Morgan keeps it a little bit more defensive-minded and there are fewer of those, those openings that, that, that cropped up. I did want to talk about, you know, in, in light of some of the conversations around John Herdman after this tournament, and, you know, I, I fully understand that there is going to be criticism for this. There deserves to be criticism. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with any criticism of, of Herdman for the way that things went at this tournament, but there does seem to be, you know, a maybe even a, a small vocal minority of people, but they are definitely vocal uh, of people you know, talking about Octavio Zambrano, like he would have made a massive difference. I know I saw a tweet from a um, from a journalist in the United States saying John Herdman's one tenth of the coach Zambrano is, and I, I don't know. I guess that just struck a bit of a chord with me in the sense that, again, you mentioned it. I mean, the teams are maybe a little bit different. Herdman does have more attacking talent to work with, but they're very similar tournaments. Um, in, in that sense, I just don't see what people saw in Octavio Zambrano. And I think, again, the way Canada soccer kind of, uh, I mean, it got out early, so they weren't able to put any kind of good PR spin on it. But the way Canada soccer kind of handled that transition between managers, if they had explained it a little better, considering, you know, maybe some of the things we've heard and um, even some of the things we've come to find out in in the um, in the aftermath, I you know I just I just don't think Zambrano is the the savior that everyone is making him out to be, and um, I don't think Herdman's necessarily as as poor as everyone um, seems to think in the aftermath of all this. Well, we're always prone to the the knee jerk reactions, and it seems just like you know when I was trying to calm everybody down when you're beating Virgin Islands eight nil and Dominica five nil, saying calm down, they haven't played anybody yet. It was immediate how. Canada goes out this way and the pivot is oh it's a disaster what are they doing it's you know it seems there's there's always someone who's getting vocal depending on what's going on so mm-hmm. um you know I the way Zambrano went out it, it doesn't strike me as something that was based on footballing uh you know it, there is certainly more to that story that you know who knows kind of thing um mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I obviously wasn't in the room when when the decision was made to bring in Herdman, but, um, you know, maybe one day we'll find out what exactly happened. But for now, without actually knowing the whole story, um, you know, it's, it's it, speculation is, is is probably not the best idea. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it was it was an identical turn. I look at the Gold Cup two years ago, and it was Alfonso Davies coming out party. Uh, because if he if he wasn't riding a vein of form, I think Canada has an average Gold Cup. They gave up a pair of goals to French Guiana, uh, mm-hmm. and then they, the two goals they gave up against Jamaica were very poor defending. And you know, I I look just that one step further back, and and all the ills that that people had against Benito Floro, Canada was quite strong defensively, and I. And then that changed when Zambrano came in where, where there were, you know, defensive frailties were exposed. And that's, and that's continued uh, under Herdman where there are still issues with the defending. But we know that. Um, and, and now the issue is what happens. And, uh, you know, there are, there are it's, it's now a matter of where do we go next. And, and with games coming up this fall and, and all that, I'm not sure. 
Yeah, you mentioned the the games coming up this fall, and that's the, I guess that's kind of the opportunity, kind of the the thing Canada can circle now in terms of uh, I, I guess of a bit of a, a redemption opportunity, particularly that October fifteenth meeting with the United States at BMO Field uh, during the Concacaf Nations League. I, I still think, uh, I mean, you're looking at the tournament as a whole, but I still think it was a bit of a missed opportunity for Canada to not go against Mexico with it, its full lineup in, in kind of a longer-term sense, in the in the sense that they would get an opportunity to uh, at least measure themselves and test themselves against one of the, the top teams in CONCACAF, or I guess at this point probably the top team in CONCACAF. Um, with with that being said, you know they will get an opportunity to do that against the United States at home and away during this series. Um, I guess we've mentioned some of it. The the defending certainly needs to improve, especially probably in wide areas going into this competition. But uh, what are you looking from Canada in terms of of a rebound here and what what they can build on this Gold Cup tournament and take it into uh, the Nations League? Yeah, I mean the fact that. The- this was probably the longest time these players have had together uh, mm-hmm. in a camp for, for several weeks, which uh, in light of a lack of international games, international friendlies in, in every window, this was the best chance they sort of had to figure out this system that, that they're working with. And, um, you know, looking up, it, it's Cuba home and away, and I mentioned <laughs> Uh, earlier, Cuba is has has just plunged to to great new depths, and I I don't know what's going on with that program. But uh, you know, home and away with Cuba, uh, you would have to expect results from Canada, uh, and mm-hmm. they have to expect results as well. And going in and playing in Havana is a tough place to play. I was there for the World Cup qualifier a number of years ago, and it's it's a poor facility and um, <laughs> you know, poor surface. Uh, you know, I remember the running track around it was melting in points and I'd got rubber on my shoes and it was, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a tough place to play. And, uh, you know, if Canada can still grind out a result, which I still think they should, given that gulf that's developed between the two programs, you know, I'd say expect six points from six out of that game, that game, or, you know, you can settle with four, I suppose. Um, and then the U S you just want to see, those same snippets that you saw against Mexico, whether or not that was a one-off performance against Mexico, um, or if or if it was an actual indication of where this team lies creatively, and yeah, chances against the U.S. both home and away is is a tremendous opportunity for them. And uh, you know, we don't know how the schedule will line up next year because World Cup qualifying should be right around the corner. We don't know how busy Canada is going to be uh, during the you know the non nations league world cup qualifying windows whether it's going to be a january camp but um since it seems canada's playing fewer games uh these two us games are more just a, an opportunity never mind the nations league just an opportunity to gauge themselves before world cup qualifying i wanted to finish up by talking about atiba hutchinson i think it's pretty safe to say at this point this is his last gold cup um although who knows i guess but uh, do you think this is his last perform or last match for Canada soccer? Was this match against Haiti? Because I, I certainly thought going into this tournament that this would be a swan song. Although it does almost seem like you know he left the door open for returning down the road, and I, I would assume that 
you know, maybe those United States fixtures coming up pretty quickly would be uh, maybe a good send off for him. But I guess a, a tough way for him to go out. I mean, uh, one of the defining moments of this tournament for me was that late goal he scored that was offside and just doing the exact same look that he had in the 2007 Gold Cup, which was the first game I ever watched where he was wrongly adjudicated offside against the United States in that semifinal. This time they absolutely got the call right. But um, yeah, that was just a, that was a tough moment to watch. Certainly. Yeah. It's fun. If, if that is the end, that's the bookend where, you know, Atiba was onside that time. Atiba was offside this time, but yeah, that same hands to head, almost iconic look that you have from him. But it's a weird sort of thought. I know he, uh, he gave an interview with John Molinaro a number of months ago who, when he, John was still at Sportsnet, mm-hmm. um, saying the Gold Cup is it. It, it, it seems a, an odd place to end it. Um, you know, I mean, it's been a number of times where, you know, you think this is it for Atiba and he was focused, he'd focus on his club career, or, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But it's, it's, it'd be strange if he ended it at the Gold Cup in a quarterfinal against Haiti. Uh, you know, honestly, it'd be cool if they, they gave him a testimonial uh, a friendly in Canada where people do it. Cause I mean, I've said time and again, he's, he's maybe the most underrated under, under, you know, reported Canadian athlete in, in a very long time, considering his career trajectory. Um, but yeah, no, if this is the end, I think I tweeted something near the end, appreciate the final few moments because, uh, you know, he, he played through a lot of lean years for the Canadian program and, um, and he was he was a bright spot, and he was fun to watch, and uh, you know it was cool to see him play in the Champions League with Besiktas, and you know when when you know people would sort of you know poo poo the Canadian program, you look at him and you go he's he's doing okay, and and it would be you know if this is the end, you know, I got to know Atiba a little bit during my time with with the team with that program, and uh, you know he's a good guy, um, he's a very soft spoken but nice guy. He'll always ask how you're doing and. Um, you know, he's, he's just a likable guy. And, uh, we, we were, we were very lucky to have him if this is the end. I, you know, I hope there's still a little bit more and he can, he can run out a little bit more, but, um, you know, if it's, if it's the gold cup, like I said, odd place to end it, but everyone does have to call time at some point. Yeah, only six caps off of the all-time Canadian record as well. I mean, with the rate that this national team plays, who who knows when you could accomplish <laughs> that? But um, certainly, uh, certainly an incredible career for Atiba Hutchinson, and I, I'd agree. I I really hope it doesn't end there. I, I hope at least we see him for Nations League, um, especially those U.S. matches. I just think that that would be a, a nice way for him to go out is is two games against you know a Concacaf rival. Um, it would be yeah it would just be a perfect bookend so hopefully we see that happen but um that does bring us to the end of our show this week gavin it's been a pleasure having you on as always thanks for having me and to the rest of you we'll have more toronto fc talk in the coming weeks as they get back into action but for now thanks for listening